Hello and welcome to Incoming. Your host is Margie Avery. I help you sort through the crap that comes at you every day and use my experience to help you be the person you always wanted to be. Hello, good morning, afternoon, or evening, whatever it may be, wherever you're listening from. I'm Margie Avery. I'm your host, and thank you for joining me for Incoming. Now, if you've listened to any of my previous podcasts, I have said numerous times that I would not do a show on finance because that's not what this show is about, really. But I did say that there may be some topics that touch on it, and today's topic is going to be one of those. It's just something to raise your awareness if you don't know, give you something to think about. And if you do know, give you an idea of how you need to handle some things differently. But, you know, the first president that I can recall really paying attention to the politics or how it impacted the economy was Bill Clinton. Now, obviously, I do remember presidents prior to that, and I could speak conversationally on some of their decisions. And I'm not even saying that these were Bill Clinton's decisions, because many of these decisions really are made by Congress. But at any rate, this is not going to be about me liking Bill Clinton or not liking Bill Clinton or whom I do or don't like. It's more about economics. And some of you listening maybe in other countries, so maybe you are or are not aware of what was going on in the U.S. economy during these times, but I'll fill you in. And some of you, depending on your age bracket, may or may not remember some of this, but we have been going through this process as a country, in my opinion. It seems like we've just been sort of snowballing debt or taking the same snowball of debt and just kicking it you know, up the hill. And it started during President Clinton's administration. There was, maybe you've heard the term or not, but the dot-com bubble. All of a sudden, the companies, these were new at the time, were Microsoft and Google and eBay and Amazon and Yahoo came on the scene and they just shot up so quickly and a lot of analysts that had been experienced, been around a little bit longer, kept warning that these stocks are overvalued. Now, the Cliff Notes version of stock value is that supposedly, if you took the total value of the shares that are outstanding in a company, they should add up to the sum of the value of the company's tangible and intangible assets. So what these people were warning was that the stock was valued at greater than that, that what you were buying was really nothing because the the companies, if you sold them off kit and caboodle, weren't near worth near a fraction of what the stocks were trading at. And so eventually they called, you know, a bubble and the bubble burst and all of a sudden people who had, you know, maybe a million dollars on paper in a 401k that was heavily laden with tech stock, it just plummeted. Some people lost everything. And this was a really, really big deal. 
and it impacted the nation's economy in a way that, not unlike what COVID-19 has done or the Great Recession of 2007, but it's centered around stocks. So everybody got warned. They said, well, you shouldn't have all your eggs in one basket. It shouldn't be all your 401ks. It shouldn't be all stocks. And they started pointing to houses and reminding people how much cash and equity you have wrapped up in your in your homes. So then what started happening was people borrowing against the equity in their houses to invest in the stock market. And in the process of this, as we all know, um, the the housing market crash. And if you should ever feel inclined, there is a really good movie. It's I know it stars Christian Bale, and I think it's called The Big Short. And it does a fabulous job of really explaining what truly happened with the housing bubble. And I, I'm not going to go into that detail because it's a pretty exhaustive topic. But the bottom line was people started playing around with their equity in their homes. And that was going to replace the money that they'd lost over investing in tech stocks. And some of those tech stocks did eventually rebound. But so we, we, we went from the tech stocks and the dot-com bubble into the housing bubble, which led to the crash of 2007. And then at the end of that, the government said, well, you know what? Student loans. There's student loan money, and you could go and you can get educated and further training and move into a different field and you could recoup some of this loss. And again, the housing market did rebound, but it was a day late and a dollar short in both the dot-com bubble and the housing bubble. Some people, you know, it rebounded and they corrected, but many, many people lost their shirts and never got it back. So then Okay, so we moved on to student loans. And so everybody jumped on student loans. And I know many people who jumped on the student loans thinking, well, I'll just do these classes. And then the excess money left over each semester from my loans, I can, you know, add that to my measly paycheck because there were no jobs. And I live in Michigan, and Michigan was hit particularly hard. But you couldn't even get a job at a fast food restaurant. So people were using the student loan, the excess funds after their tuition was paid and their books purchased, the excess money, you can choose to have it put back on the loan or you can choose to have it given to you. Everybody chose to have it given to them so that they could supplement their paycheck with it. And now we've led into this trillion some odd dollar student loan debt. But in my mind, it's the same debt loss, the loss to the economy that happened all the way back to the dot-com bubble. And we never really replaced that money. We just, it got shoved to the housing boom and the crash of 2007, and then the student loan boom, and what's inevitably coming very soon to be a crash in that, because Americans simply don't have the trillion dollars to pay back. I mean, some do, but many don't. So you think about this and you think about your participation in it, because I always leave you on a, a positive note. 
You have to, again, what do I always say? You have to think outside the box. You have to question. You have to apply reasoning to these topics. And think about this. In large part, many of these booms and crashes were fake money. It was imaginary money. I recall when Alan Greenspan was still in charge of the Fed, he kept issuing warnings. And again, I I believe this was when President Clinton was in office. But he kept issuing these warnings about that 60-some percent, I can't remember the exact figure, but it was 60-some percent of the nation's debt was unsecured, meaning there's no real collateral to any of this. I mean, people are financing their clothing. You ever think about that? When you pay for a pair of blue jeans on your credit card, you have just financed a pair of blue jeans. And I know everybody says, oh, well, I pay it off every month. Well, some of you are lying. You don't because there's a whole lot of credit card debt being carried around there. So somebody who swears they pay it off every month is not telling the truth. And that's okay. We've all been there. I get it. And I've recommended before and I will recommend again Go to the Dave Ramsey Show, DaveRamsey.com, Dave Ramsey Podcast. You don't have to agree with everything the man says, but I'm going to tell you right now from having lived through two bankruptcies, owning six or seven businesses, making it through this life in the school of hard knocks, not the school of it was handed to me and I'm a trust fund surfer. Nothing against those people, but I've had a different path. What Dave Ramsey tells you is the facts of life. If you want a stress-free financial life and you want to open your jail cell and no longer be a slave to these banks, listen to Dave Ramsey, do what he says. And the only thing Dave Ramsey and I do not agree on is bankruptcy. I think that sometimes if you're eligible, bankruptcy is a fabulous tool to use to wipe the slate clean and get started anew. I don't think that we all have to crawl on stones, bare need, and pay a penance because we made a mistake and got in debt and do without and do without for possibly years and pay this off. I understand his thinking that part of that process is a lesson that will make you never want to go back and do it again. But it's also a chance to make you quit and never want to keep doing it. So I think if you're eligible, and not everybody is, if you are eligible, doing a bankruptcy can be a very good thing. But I will agree with the rest of what he says. You have to have your mind, your eye on the prize. I will no longer be a slave to banks. I will no longer be in debt. So if you want to know a process that works and something that regardless of how you want to slice it or dice it is just the reality of how money works in this world and how it should be managed if you want to have something notable Go to DaveRamsey.com, Ramsey Network, Dave Ramsey Podcast, whatever you can find him on. He's on many platforms, and give it a listen. But for the purposes of this show today, I'm saying that the money thing is kind of a game. For those of us down here in the real world, you know what? You are not, it's not going to make you or break you what you're going to accumulate in these high-risk scenarios. I'm not saying don't invest in stocks. I think stocks can be a great thing. I'm saying refer back to dot-com bubble before you start putting all of your investments into Bitcoin. I'm saying that, you know, 
don't put all of your eggs in one basket. It's like being in a casino and saying 22 red, let it ride. I mean, come on, let's not do that. Dabble in that a bit, but also, you know, your house. Leave your house alone. For most normal, everyday, not the one or 10 percenters, your home is the single biggest asset you have. And since I touched on that word, your goal in life to have a happy life should be to accumulate assets, not liabilities. You know, I once had a business partner that bragged that he was the largest borrower at this medium-sized bank that, that he dealt with in Michigan, and he took great pride in that. I knew another guy that was had a successful business, was a horrible money manager because he didn't know how to stop spending ever, and he was trying to keep up with people in a whole different income bracket than him. But he, he would, frankly, told his children, keeping a good credit score is more important than having cash. That is ludicrous advice. But my advice to you, I'm all about being happy, having a stress-free life, enjoying your life. The first key, one of the big keys, I should say, is having financial freedom. One of the things that will chain you to a job that is sucking the life out of you is debt. Well, get that debt out of your life. Then you have the freedom. Sometimes you like your job better because you go in there every day knowing, hmm, I could quit. I don't have to be here every day because I do not have debt. I could go take any job and pay my utilities and my food. But when you're going into a job every day knowing that you have tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt, unsecured debt, that which has no assets tied to it, outrageous car loans for cars that are probably not worth anything near the amount that you still owe on them, homes that you still have to kill your mortgages on, getting your financial house in order is critical to getting your mental health in order. It's two battles you don't want to fight at once. So I cannot stress enough, go to Dave Ramsey, listen to him. It's basic advice to tell you how to dig your way out of debt, a logical approach that works to having your money diversified properly a little invested, a little in emergency savings, but mainly accumulating assets. You are better off to own a car that's five years old and you own no money on it than you are to have a shiny brand new lease that will never become an asset. When you go in to buy a car and your main thought is, what is a payment going to come out to? You need to run back out of that place. Do not come back in until you have your head in the right gear. You need to be thinking, what is this asset really worth that I'm about to give my hard-earned cash up for? And which one of these in here can I either pay cash for or put enough down that I could have that financing paid off in about a year? Try to get a car paid for that's reliable enough cars make it 200,000 miles these days 
And if you keep them up and do the maintenance and things, they'll easily make it there. But get a car that you can afford. What is the point in driving around something that is way out of your income bracket, but they got the payment where you can afford it, so that what? You can look of interest when you stop at the light and the guy next to you that you're never going to see again in your life is impressed with your car? So your neighbors who... You know, if you got neighbors that that's your relationship with them and you want to impress them with your car, you got the wrong neighbors. Those are not the people you need to have good mental health, to have a contentment in your life. Try to look at your money decisions that way. Not, can I afford the payment, but what will I land with in an asset? Because, you know, as the term says, you know, all these preppers and, and people, they love to use the term, you know, when the shit hits the fan. Well, let me tell you what, having been broke and been poor, when that occurs, you need assets. You need something that's convertible to cash so that you can survive. If possible, wherever you may live, if there is a safe, suitable side of town that has decent housing, that you can afford to buy outright or have paid off in a reasonable time, like five to 10 years, do that. Don't go buy the house that's 20 years worth of your earnings and really should be purchased by someone making three times what you are just because they got the payment where you can afford it monthly. Think about this. How long is it going to be before you have any measurable equity in that house. So try to think of your money like that. When you go to use a credit card that you know you're not really going to pay off at the end of the month, something else will happen. To buy clothing, to pay for food, you just financed a cheeseburger, a pair of tennis shoes, and a t-shirt. That's not what financing is for. I don't believe if you can avoid it, you should finance anything. But Financing is for big ticket items, not your clothes or meal. And even if you do pay it off monthly, there is a different mindset that people get with credit cards. And, you know, if it was pulling cash out of our pocket and looking at the reality of the cash going out of our pocket and what we'd have left, we as humans tend to see that much of, and there's been many studies done on this, we see that differently than we do the magic credit card money. And if, God forbid, for some reason, you don't, in fact, pay that off that month, the interest rate you're now paying. But either way, get in the habit of paying for your things as you go, thinking about what you're buying, looking at the value of your investment, and thinking in a mindset of, I want to accumulate assets in life. That's what rich people do. They accumulate assets, not debt. So if you want to be them and you want to live anything like them, start there. Accumulate assets, not debt. And if you have debt that you have no choice but to hang on to, do whatever you have to do to get rid of it. You know, if you have a house that has pretty good equity in it, but you could still do with a little lower payment, consider selling it and moving to something smaller. Often you could take your equity, buy a house that's really more in line with your income bracket, and even have enough money to do whatever you want to it, and, you know, to make it just what you want, and and have it paid for, rather than still having a mortgage. But look into those kinds of thinking. Look into things, again, wealthy people build assets. 
not debt. You want to be the biggest depositor at the bank, not the biggest borrower. And the other astonishing thing you'll find is that when you become that biggest depositor and you just have money piling up in your bank account and your investments and the banks, believe me, they know these things somehow that you have assets, not debt. Believe me, they're going to want They're going to throw money at you, but don't take it. It's like going in the casino. The house always wins and the bank is going to come out with the bigger end of that stick. Bottom line, you're not wealthy enough to be working in deals that will end up that big in your favor. You're not. Even if you're making 250000 a year, 300000 a year in today's world, you're middle class. And you really aren't running in those circles. So that's my thing for today. Look at how history repeats itself financially. Learn lessons from that. Google those issues that I brought up. The student loan debt crisis started with the dot-com crisis and moved on to the housing boom and the crisis. And I'm sure there were some even before that. Apply some critical thinking. It's not going to be easy to get a happy, contentful life. You're going to have to work the old, you know, gray matter and, and put some thought and some research into it and apply critical thinking. You'll see that what I'm telling you is these are facts. So when you go to make maneuvers with your money, make logical ones. If the best you can do is have a paid-for car and a paid-for house and a you know, reasonable 401k, you can't get into all these other big wheelings and dealings, then don't. A big, big, I cannot repeat this enough, integral part in having good mental health or at least having the peaceful time to think about it and to work on your mental health is to have your financial house in order. So I hope you found this helpful. Uh, everyone tells me I'm new to podcasting. I have to have a call to action. My call to action is if you have listened to any of my podcasts and found one sentence of it helpful whatsoever, refer me to a friend. Send a link to my podcast to a friend of yours and have them give it a listen. I'd appreciate it. But you know what? If it's just me and you here a couple times a week, I'm happy with that too. I appreciate you supporting the show. Enjoy the rest of your day and take care of yourself.